All right, I'm gonna do the intro. You actually have a text this time. You're not just trying to make it up like a twit. Friday, June 8th, 2018, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, contributing editor at Dutch News and book burner-in-chief, and with me today is Gordon Derrick, my fellow contributing editor at Dutch News and obscure musicologist. Our third musketeer, Paul Peters, is missing today because he is working on a PhD about Heer Zijn van Rossums. We will be hearing from Paul later in the show because he'll be delivering the all-important OPEF of the week. Yes, we've, we've, we've phoned him in for the OPEF. Indeed. So Molly, how's a book burning going? I don't burn books, Gordon. <laughs> but you do other unspeakable things with them. I don't keep the books. So yeah. I believe in a philosophy of not <laughs> keeping books because it makes the world a better place that you can pass books on to other people who can then also enjoy them. But I do I do pass books on to other people, but I also don't pass on as many books as I actually read myself. So No, I d- I p- we pass on all books, so there's no... We do not keep books in this house that have been uh, read already. There, there are books that are yet to be read, and everything else we try to find a new new home for. But what do you do if you want to read a book again? I, or if you want to consult it? or I, you wanna, I don't want to read a book again, it? usually. And if I do, then like someone has a copy of it that's around in my life, or you can like purchase one or go to a bookstore or go to a library. There's like so many ways to get a hold of books. Do you know my sense of having your room decorated by books? I mean, I've, I've got um, a, a bookshelf that covers uh, part of a wall in my house and it's, it's like a history of like the everything I've read in the last 15 years probably. Probably. I mean, I have, of, I have a good re- life. I, I, I miss that if I didn't have it. I have a Goodreads account so that's just a history of all of the books. But I don't want to look at a computer screen. I want to look at a physical That's because you're an old book. person. I know <laughs> Like speaking books, of you like being, the... speaking of you being old, why are you an obscure musicologist, Gordon? I don't think it's really obscure musicologist. In fact, I was I was just um, listening to some music this week, I think, and trying to f- listen to some music that was uh, better than the music that you hear on Dutch radio stations, which isn't hard. Yeah, I was going to say that's what you're setting yeah. out at a low bar. Exactly, setting quite a low bar. But yeah, um, but, no, but just... no one aside from you and like three people from the Scottish underground had ever heard of any of these bands. I think actually, no, uh, I've no, uh, I I've, I discovered, I discovered. Well, I like. I'm discovering new music but often when I try and discover new music I actually end up discovering bands that were around in the 80s and 90s and I just never heard of before so other than your uh, your listing of, of top music there's a, a local newspaper who's going to stop listing things because they've had a bit of a scandal what's the uh, what's the deal with that yes indeed yeah this is one of the um, many ophefs this week and um now, Duckblatt is no longer going to be listing the best herring olibollen and chips providers in the Netherlands uh, which they've been doing for years and years and years they have this sort of uh, annual ranking it was always a big thing um, uh, among both the readers and obviously the the merchants as well but the newspaper was facing accusations of fishy goings on in the selection process after one of the judges was alleged to have tipped the scales in favour of his clients in the herring supply industry some olibollen traders were also tipped off about when the inspectors were visiting, uh, possibly people, uh, some of the grease to palms or something. AD, anyway, um, uh, could see that the whiting was on the wall and uh, such shellfish behaviour could not be tolerated and it had no place in its pages. So it was also criticised for unnecessarily vitriolic and vituperative reviews. Uh, there's one fish merchant who's branded a bunch of cowboys. Um, in the case of another trader in Fallen Dunn, the judges said that Stichting Vuckadeer, which animal rights organisation, should step in to prevent the Atlantic herring being tortured after its death. And, uh, the, the torturing, actually, that occurred here was the number of puns you managed to work <laughs> into that paragraph. Even though Paul is missing this week, we've phoned him so he can bring us everyone's favourite segment, the Alpef of the Week. So, Paul, 
tell us what uh, this week's Ophef is. Well, this week's uh, Ophef is about an ice cream shop in Leidschendam. Uh, as a joke, uh, he started to sell sugar-free, egg-free, lactose-free, gluten-free, fat-free, calorie-free, and vegan ice cream. And this turned out to be only some ice cubes. The uh, ice cream uh, shop posted a photo of this joke on Facebook, sparking a lot of angry comments by offended allergic people. Even the Food Allergy Foundation complained about the joke, which in turn caused other non-allergic people to complain about them being offended. So there's Ophef about the Ophef, which is always the mark of a good Ophef. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's always the best part of Ophef. <laughs> and Paul, for the, uh, for the sake of our listeners, can you please tell them where you are and why the sound quality is so terrible? Uh, right now, I'm in Amsterdam. I'm sitting on a bench in the Hummel Park, and uh, there are a lot of uh, noisy birds uh, around me, and a lot of uh, uh, people passing by on their bikes mm. and uh, running from something or running towards something. I'm not sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Paul, and uh, yeah. enjoy your uh, day in Vondel Park. This week, we'll be bringing you some second rate sports news, what annoys you about your neighbors, and a mess that Mark Rutte had no problem cleaning up. In the discussion, we debate just what Amsterdam can do about tourists. Prime Minister Mark Rutte is to meet Donald Trump at the White House just before Independence Day, according to reports in the NRC. The government wouldn't officially confirm the reports, but the newspaper said Rutte would be in Washington on July the 2nd to discuss issues including the US's new tariffs on European steel, the scrapping of the Iran nuclear deal, and the Paris Agreement on climate change. Rutter was critical last month of the way Trump pulled out of the deal on Iran's nuclear program, describing the president's behaviour as lump or bullish. This was not the uh, only messy business Rutter had to deal with this week, was it, Gordon? No, the Prime Minister was the subject of a viral video when he spilled a cup of coffee on his way into a ministry building. Displaying typical Dutch spatial awareness, Rutter was caught by surprise by a security gate closing behind him, which propelled the contents of his polystyrene beaker across the floor. Rutter immediately grabbed a mop and proceeded to clean up the mess, while a team of cleaners cheered him on. The highlight was probably for when a cleaner showed Rutter how to use the mop's telescopic arm, and his face lit up because, of course, like all men, he's only interested in doing housework if it involves gadgets. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> so what did the foreign press make of all of this? Well, the Washington Post, uh, they ran an article, they said that Rutter's willingness to muck in reflected the less formal style of government in the Netherlands. Um, they also mentioned that uh, Rutter had uh, gotten his bike to visit the king when he uh, had his government deal set up. So a slightly kind of stereotypical statement, but at least they didn't uh, say we all skate to work on the canals in winter. Pakistani journalist Amir Abbas on Twitter said it was an act of true democracy and true leadership. And the BBC noted it was refreshing to see a politician cleaning up his own mess for a change. But he went down very well, though, Rutter. Yeah, 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 it was popular. It's good. It was charming. I will will give him that. Education Minister Ingrid von Engelshove said this week that the country's universities can continue to offer courses in English as long as it leads to an improvement in standards and that Dutch students are not forced out. Her statement comes after a call from universities to restrict the number of courses taught in English and to raise student fees for students coming from outside of the EU. According to von Engelshove, she wants to encourage the use of English because it benefits Dutch science, the knowledge-based economy, and students themselves. Currently, universities are only supposed to offer courses in English if it is, quote, necessary, but that isn't strictly enforced. A lobbying group campaigning for better education in the Netherlands is actually taking Maastricht and Twente universities to court for offering too many degree courses in English without, they argue, good reason to do so. 
And uh, does the minister have any plans for tackling the problems that universities have raised? Yeah, that plans includes limiting the number of students in some English language courses, raising tuition fees, and encouraging international students to stay in the Netherlands after graduation. Yeah, but it's, it comes back to that old dilemma, doesn't it, that uh, you want to have your universities compete on the international stage, uh, but uh, you also want to have it accessible to local students. So yeah, what? how many of your courses... Do you offer in uh, Dutch, and how many do you? Know, how much tuition do you do you offer in English? Yeah, it's a bit of a. Um, so it's a balancing act. It's a bit yeah. of a conundrum, and also uh, I know a lot of technical universities face the fact that they can't recruit in enough professors to teach the courses in Dutch. There's just not enough Dutch PhDs, hmm. um, and also that uh, most of the textbooks and the publications and stuff are in English. So yeah. they're already sort of being forced to do a lot of this stuff in English, whether they want to or not. Staying in education, school teachers have secured a 2.5% pay rise this year in a new labour agreement signed by trade unions and Education Minister Ari Slob. The government's committed to spending €270 million Euros on improving teachers' pay, including a one-off bonus of 750 for primary school teachers. But despite agreeing to the deal, trade unions and the lobby group PO in Axi still aren't happy with the pay gap between primary and secondary school teachers, and a series of rolling strikes to highlight the problem will go ahead as planned. So when is the next strike due? Uh, there's another strike. Uh, they're having what's called relay strikes. So it's not instead of all the teachers going on strike uh, every time, they, they take it in turns by region to kind of uh, minimise or limit the disruption to parents. Um, so the next strike is going to be in South Holland and Zeeland regions, and it's on September the 12th, so the first week of the uh, new term after the summer holidays, or the second week for some people. Speeding motorists, dog mess, and parking problems are what annoy people the most in this country. That finding is the result of the latest safety monitor survey carried out by the National Statistics Office, SABAS. The survey involved 150,000 people over the age of 15. Complaints vary by region. Border cities cite drugs as the largest complaint, while Amsterdam calls littering the biggest problem. Uh, what's the biggest problem in Delft? Uh, I assume it has something to do with the bombings and the shootings that are going on there. The CBS actually has this really cool like infographic thing where you can sort of see how people responded in your region. We'll link to it in the liner yeah, notes. Yeah. I guess if you live in Brabant, your biggest problem is uh, gangsters uh, setting up cannabis farms on, this, on every street corner. Exactly. Or, or getting elected to the local council. Right, yeah. <laughs> or both. Well, in fact, actually, probably most of the people who respond in Brabant are gangsters, so they're probably not that bothered by that. No, yeah. maybe they're bothered by, they're like, bothered the by police dog, or yeah, something. Or dog waste. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, or police dogs. Police dogs. Yeah. Sports news. 40 years ago, they played one of the classic World Cup matches in Argentina when Ari Hahn's Thunderbolt sent the Dutch through to the final. This summer, both the Netherlands and Italy are staying at home. So they met for a friendly in Turin on Monday night. It was a pretty lacklustre contest, with Simone Zaza's goal midway through the second half, cancelled out by a late equaliser from Nathan Ake. Aurelia were slightly better in the second half, when the likes of Ake, Stefan Berghaus and Quincy Promis came on as substitutes, but there were a few encouraging signs for Ronald Koeman ahead of the opening Nations Cup match on September the 9th against France. Is Tom Dumoulin going to be getting on his bike sometime soon? Dumoulin is confirmed to be taking part in the Tour de France this year, which starts on July the 7th, uh, after finishing second in the Dior d'Italia to uh, super-asthmatic Chris Froome. Dumoulin says he wants to go as far as he can in the Tour this year and prepare for a more serious challenge for the title next year. He's competed in the race four times before, but hasn't finished since 2014. In 2016, he broke his wrist in a fall on the 19th stage. That's an unfortunate way to end your tour. And, uh... Frustrating times for the uh, Clauvert family. 
have no idea what any of that means. Yeah, well, I'll explain it all. Justin Clovert, whose Ajax's teenage sensation, has had a move to AS Roma turned down because the clubs can't agree on a fee. According to the Telegraph, the move is all set to go ahead, but Ajax rejected an offer of €10 million Euros for the 19-year-old. Italian newspaper Corriere dello Sport claimed the total package was actually worth €25 million, but still no go. Meanwhile, his dad, Patrick, who'd already scored a Champions League winning goal by the time he was 19, has been pitching for the vacant manager's job in the um, very prestigious location of St Mirren in Scotland. However, the club have interviewed former Scotland defender Gary Caldwell for the job, so it looks as if Paisley may be a bridge too far for the former Barcelona star. I assume you know what all of those words mean. Uh, well, Paisley, yeah, it's a town uh, in Scotland. Oh, okay, yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's also some, some op-ed around uh, uh, Max Verstappen. Do you want to hear about that? Sure, let's uh, talk he, about he, Max Verstappen. He gave a press conference about the Grand Prix um, in which he started to... He was asked a lot of questions about why he's, he, 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 why he's been crashing so much this season. And uh, he was a bit fed up. And he, he said, if I, get, if I get another one of these questions, I'm going to headbutt somebody. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like how I react emotionally to things, <laughs> so, which is not a compliment. That's how I've reacted to most of my questions this morning. Exactly. So. That's very yeah. true. We'll be discussing Amsterdam's problems and potential solutions regarding tourism after this word from our sponsors. Here in Holland is the podcast in English about life with the Dutch. Stories to make you laugh, cry, pull your hair out or jump for joy. Every two weeks, available in your favourite podcast app, on Spotify or at hereinholland.com. The weather is getting warmer, summer holidays are approaching, and that means tourists. And if you live in Amsterdam, it means a lot of tourists. The recently formed city council in Amsterdam has an extensive plan to decrease the amount of tourism in the city, which we discussed last week during our discussion about local elections. So explain first of all exactly what the city council wants to do. Well, the main points include uh, an increase in tourist taxes, permits for tourist guides who operate outside the red light district. It seems like a slightly odd distinction, but okay. Mm -hmm. Tougher rules for fun transport, including horse-drawn carriages and beer bikes. A ban on coaches within the A10 ring road. Uh, they're going to move the canal cruise boat terminal to outside the city center in, par yeah, in so part because they're going to close the Java Bridge. So both those things seem to be sort of saying they want fewer old people uh, yeah. visiting the city, seemingly. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> uh, a 30-day limit for Airbnb rentals and a complete ban on holiday rentals to tourists in some areas. Um, a ban on floating hotels. Um, they want to reform Amsterdam marketing into an expertise center for promoting culture. A ban on new branches of large retail and restaurant change and more street cleaners and rubbish collectors. Okay, so no, no new big kind of department store type shops right. or, uh, or, or international restaurants either. So this goes beyond tourism. This is actually affecting retail trade as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty broad brush they're yeah. painting with here. I mean, obviously more rubbish and cleaners, you know, rubbish collectors and cleaners is not... To yes. deal with the fact that tourists drop more litter on the whole. I guess so, yeah. yeah. And as we discussed earlier on the podcast, Amsterdamers are, uh, the, that's their biggest complaint. So, But generally, the, the general aim of this is to have fewer tourists in the city because they feel that tourism's reached saturation point. Well, they say not. According to the coalition agreement, the focus is on making neighborhoods more livable. The first function of the city is living. Tourism comes in second place, says Groenlings parliamentary leader Rutger Groot Rasting. So... They are claiming that they don't want fewer tourists per se, but that they want to make the neighborhoods more livable. However, in theory, if more people are living there, then there is fewer space to like house tourists. So I think that that's kind of a splitting hairs a little bit. Yeah, and people living in Amsterdam, obviously we, we both know people, quite a few people who live in Amsterdam. What are they kind of saying about tourism? Is it a real problem uh, for residents? They seem to think so. Um, the numbers have gone up. Um, the CBS says the numbers have gone up a lot. Um, there are about 18 million foreign tourists in the country 
country last year, um, while there are about 25 million Dutch tourists. These numbers are based on people staying like overnight. So if you live in Delft and go to Amsterdam for a day, you're not a tourist, but if you stay overnight in a hotel, you are. Um, but the numbers are up from the previous year uh, 9%, with a 13% uh, increase in foreign tourists. And if you talk to people, particularly people who live anywhere near the city center of Amsterdam, they will complain endlessly about lines and about crowding on the sidewalks and streets. Yeah. And, you and know, cyclists. From cyclists. Tourists ca cannot use a cycle pass at no. all, seemingly. Can't yeah. use a cycle path, you yeah. know, dragging roller bags around at yeah. all times of the night and that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I mean, I don't hear anything but complaints from yeah. people who live in Amsterdam about the number of tourists. Yeah, and it's kind of the, the disruptions of the routine as well because tourists obviously live to a different timetable because you're on holiday, you're not working and so people who are, need to get up in the morning uh, disrupted by tourists uh, hanging about outside their window at two in the morning. Right. Um, and the other things that people that live there will tell you is that, you know, for a period of time, it you know, it was fine, there were still yeah. lots of tourists, but then in some point in the last three, five years or so, um, it seems the numbers really increased, which is borne out by the the statistics on the subject. I mean, there's just yeah. been a huge increase in the number of tourists coming to the country. It, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? It seems to have reached a kind of saturation point. Isn't it? Yeah. For a long time, Amsterdam put up with tourism and even welcomed it and yeah. said, this, this is good for our image as a cosmopolitan international city. We get lots of people uh, coming and visiting. It means there are lots of uh, good restaurants, places to eat and so on. And lots, obviously, you know, a tourist city is also a city with lots of attractions like, you know, museums, nightclubs, all right. those kinds of things. All those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, but now they've decided that uh, we've hit the saturation point. On the other hand, of course, tourists do bring in a lot of money, don't they? Yeah. Research from 2007 showed that in Amsterdam, the city brings in about 64 million euros in tourist taxes, but spends about 71 million euros on marketing and museum subsidies. The report from the Groener Amsterdamer argues that the city doesn't do a good job taking into the account of the costs on infrastructure, etc., but inflates the data by including tourists as people who, you know, say, come into Amsterdam from Amstelveen for dinner or something like that. So there's a lot of argument, uh, There's and there's not really clear uh, numbers about how much tourism actually brings in, you know, and and people who don't live here are not paying into that, like, tax base. Um, mm -hmm. So there's, there's a pretty big debate uh, on both sides, and I... I was pretty well swayed by this uh, article, this report from the Groener Amsterdamer about how uh, it's not really as lucrative as people seem to argue that it is. Yeah. Um, no, that's true, I suppose. But on the other hand, you could say that, uh, well, I suppose you say two things. Well, the, the first thing is come what you class as tourism, because right. I suppose the fact, fact that Amsterdam is a major international centre means you don't just get uh, visitors, people coming on holiday, you also get uh, conferences. Right. And people want to come and have conferences here because there's lots of stuff to do right. you know, outside of working hours. Yeah, that's true. So maybe that's, so that helps. And also kind of, you know, it brings a kind of more of a kind of cultural value. And again, the fact that you have these... Yeah, you have a city that's attractive to tourists also makes it more attractive to locals. So, right. you know, you've got the Rijks Museum, you've got, you know, concert halls, right. international orchestras come and play because, you know, it, it's the kind of place that people want to yeah. perform in. So maybe the benefits of tourism aren't just, shouldn't just be confined to, you know, what's on offer for visitors, but how it contributes to the general atmosphere right. uh, of the city. And if we get to the point where you know, there's so many people coming and there's so many of these roller bags uh, rumbling over the curbstones, then, yeah, you need to find a way to address the balance. But it's kind of interesting because in Amsterdam and other cities uh, in Europe like uh, Venice and Madrid yeah, uh, it seems like local authorities are now kind of turning more towards trying to restrict visitor numbers uh, in the last couple of years. Have any of these other places had any successes? Not a whole lot of successes. Amsterdam, like you said, it's not the only one with this problem. Um, the country of Italy is so annoyed about overcrowding during tourist season that they're trying to spread the tourists out around the country um, by highlighting wine and food from like less popular regions. Um, Madrid, there's a bunch of other cities, but Madrid in particular has imposed rules on Airbnb. The city of Venice has gone so far as to 
installed turnstiles on the streets, which can only be opened with like a local <laughs> transport pass. Uh-huh. Um, I did a lot of research into like how well these have fared, and it doesn't really seem like they've decreased tourist numbers substantially. Pretty much, if you want tourism to go down, you have to like make your city or country fall out of popularity, which it's not clear how you do that. Yeah. Or you have to have, like, a natural disaster or a plague or, like, an uprising. Yeah, start a civil war, basically. Right. So if Amsterdam started a civil war, tourism would decrease. That is true. Yeah, or have just terrible weather. Because the Highlands of Scotland are beautiful and hardly anyone goes there because the weather is atrocious. I mean, Amsterdam also kind of has terrible weather and people just still keep coming. It has a bit of rain now and again. Yeah, but compared to other places that you could go. (laughs) That's uh, true. So, yeah, I mean, I think that they're fighting a bit of a losing battle in, like, some ways. So the first thing that they want to do is increase tourist taxes. So this is taxes that are paid yeah. on, like, hotels and stuff like that, which, yeah. you know, it seems to me if you make it more expensive, less people will come. So I guess that that, that does seem like one way that will be somewhat, yeah. like... Although I'm not sure it will, because they did, did the last administration not to increase tourist taxes, yeah. not by as much, but yeah. they did raise it and it didn't really have an effect. Yeah. I think if you want to really visit a place, going away for a city break is kind of a luxury thing. Yeah. So you're not necessarily going to be put off by a small increase in the cost. Yeah, that's true. I, I, wonder, I do wonder about but that. But at least though. it means the tourists are contributing, contributing more to right. the cost of actually you know, yeah. uh, accommodating them. Yeah, in the city. so at least tourist tax offsets maybe that. And yeah. I, I don't know, maybe, I mean, if you were, you know, if you were looking, if you live in Europe and you were looking for a city getaway and you kind of do some browsing around at the hotels in Amsterdam and the hotels in Berlin and the hotels in Stockholm yeah. and it seems like, you know, Amsterdam is a bit more expensive then maybe you're less likely to come. So I guess there's maybe some argument to that. Um, I permits for tourist guides I can't believe that they don't have permits for this thing already This that definitely seems like an easy thing that you can do yeah. to sort of like increase the quality of life of people who live in Amsterdam without yeah. and like... to make sure you're not overrun with these tour parties yeah. and uh, you get tour parties on the bikes don't yeah. you which uh, people in Amsterdam re- really swear at that because you have this just this posse of about 20 cyclists yeah. all cycling in single file yeah. around Amsterdam and just clogging up you know the traffic for everybody you know, else or if you live in a place and they stop in front of your house and there's just like 30 people sort of milling about and if you're trying to get from some place to another it's it's quite irritating. I mean, we do have these big tour groups in Delft, which mm. in Delft, the city center is a bit more contained. And of course, it's a smaller city, so it's a bit easier to negotiate, but it is kind of annoying. And yeah. I could see that if it's like constantly happening all of the time, that that mm. could be really a problem. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that seems like a pretty good idea. Yeah, and I suppose that's the other thing about tourism, isn't it? It's become an all year round thing. I mean, yeah. in the past, you had the tourist season. So you, it was four months in the summer, so you put up with it. And anyway, you went away yourself for some of that time. And then the rest of the year, you kind of, you know, things wound down and yeah. you could take it easy and you could walk around your own city. And now yeah. it's just 12 months of yeah. the year, it's round the clock. Yeah. And you never get a break and it becomes quite suffocating, yeah. I think. I think that's part, a big part of the problem, actually. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think permits for tourist guides would both help not just decrease probably the number of tourists, but also that like just, you know, spreading those tourists out in some better ways. And also just like some of these, I mean, some of you see some of these tour guides, you know, I don't know if you've ever like listened in sometimes, but they just have a bunch of crap that they're telling yeah. people it's not true and they like, have these no kinds idea. of things. Yeah. They have no idea what they're talking yeah. about. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. sympathetic towards that one. I kind of think they may be niche there actually. I'd like to sort of start a fake news tour of Amsterdam yeah. and just to go around just telling blatant lies. Yeah, I, we can do that. City. I'm yeah. totally in for that. <laughs> Tougher rules on uh, fun transport. Yeah, fun transport. This is kind of the particularly aimed at kind of the stag party. Yeah, um, this is the beer tours, bikes. The beer bikes. The beer bikes the, should go. I have, beer, no, the beer bikes, I have no sympathy for the beer bikes. They are going, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and if you want to do that, they should just stick them somewhere far outside the yeah. city where they're not going to harass anyone. I also don't think that we should have horse-drawn carriages, period, because I think it's bad for the horses. So I am completely sympathetic mm. to these fun transport rules. I mean, this is not like a local culture thing. So I'm, pr- I'm pretty sympathetic to that one. 
bans on coaches within the ring road. So this I find interesting because of your point previously, and this also goes to the uh, moving the canal boat terminal, because what you hear people complain about. So, for example, I put in a a thing on Facebook this morning asking for people what they thought about the rules. And, of course, what people say is is that, so there there was one comment that said, um, we should limit the number of tourists who are coming to, quote, get wasted, Mm. which... You know, it's it's awfully hard to ask people how much alcohol they plan on yeah, consuming. Yeah, it is really. But uh, people who come in coaches and on on cruise boats tend to be uh, an an older crowd. Yes. This is not like the stag party crowd. They're so, not so disruptive. Should we yeah, say. I yeah, mean, they sort of probably go to the Rijksmuseum and then buy some things at the Beinkorf and then like maybe sit in a cafe and yeah. have like a glass of wine or in bed by 10 p.m. So <laughs> part of the reason they want to move the cruise boat terminal is because they want to put in another. Um, a bridge. Yeah. Um, well, this so. is for the uh, the actual cruise ferry terminal. Yeah. Isn't it? It's for the big cruises that yeah. won't um, come up to the um, the big key just mm-hmm. up from the central station. They want to move right. that, but they're also talking about just moving the canal boat yeah. uh, terminals. Isn't the, the ones just at the front of the station yeah. where there's a lot of them. A lot of people who take these cruises take them partly because they're not so mobile. Yeah. I went with my parents um, on a canal boat uh, yeah. tour last year, and my mother just had a hip, um, a knee operation, so she couldn't walk very well. So the obvious thing was to go on a canal boat tour. So yeah. it seems a bit, yeah. yeah, a bit kind of counterproductive. Um, to, to move these things to places where people have to travel quite a long way to get to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've done. I've done a bunch of these because, of course, when you have people come in from somewhere else, they wanna they wanna go, and they're pretty. I mean, I, I generally think that the information that you get is pretty interesting, um, and that they're pretty low key, right? That like a lot of them don't serve alcohol at all. That like the ticket prices aren't super cheap. You know, if you're coming to Amsterdam to get drunk for the weekend, this is probably not where you're spending like your twenty bucks. Um, I know the ones like during the lights, the light festival in Amsterdam can be a little more like. Uh, enthusiastic but it's sort of an event and part of the event is like taking the boat tour and going to see yeah. all the light stuff so I'm, i i mean i think that they tend to be pretty nice i suppose you could move them i, I don't know if you want to move it to outside the city center because yeah. that that seems like a bit of a but maybe you could move them away from the spot where they are right outside the central station mm. so yeah i mean mixed i have mixed reviews about this one yeah. and on a kind of wider point i mean how much do we actually want to restrict people like having fun on holiday because uh, uh, apparently a lot <laughs> if you're the uh, I don't think that they per se want to restrict people from having fun. I think the idea is, is that they want to restrict it to certain kinds of fun, right? Yeah. That they want to attract people who come to a city and go, you know, shopping on the Pesehofstraat and yeah. go to the museums and have like nice dinners out and not the people who come and like go to the coffee shops, get very drunk and yeah. eat like cheap retail food, you know, sort of in the city center. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, we went there when they put the first Dunkin' Donuts in. in uh, <laughs> book. Dutch people cannot make decent fucking donuts. This is this is just a case in point, and I like a good donut every now and again. So I was very excited when they put the first Dunkin' Donuts in in Amsterdam. So we went, and I think we went maybe one or two weeks after it opened. I, I legit stood in line for like forty minutes for Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> But I was standing in line and everyone around me in line was speaking Dutch and Mm. ordering in Dutch. I mean, I suppose they could be tourists classified in the sense the same way that I was a tourist, right? That I had come in from Delft. But for the most part, this was like Dutch people that were eating Mm. this stuff. And when you go into like, I mean, we we were up there a few nights ago and we had dinner in Amsterdam and we went to one of these quick like burger places in the city center that I liked. And like, not everybody, but like. 70% of the people who were ordering burgers were like ordering in Dutch. So either you are a Dutch person or like you have lived there sufficiently long enough that you can do an entire beer or entire burger order in Dutch. So it's not just 
tourists that go to these places, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the people that live there that yeah. also want to eat at McDonald's yeah, and that yeah. kind of stuff. And that's kind of the case with the coffee shops as well. Yeah. I mean, plenty of locals uh, go in. They tend to just drop in, have a joint, and then get on with their day. Yeah. And, and, and unlike the tourists who go in all day, there should be no problem with people, you know, letting their hair down, getting drunk on holiday. That's fine. You know, we all do, I've done it myself. But there's a certain time. Amsterdam's acquired a kind of reputation as kind of a place yeah. where you just as kind of a big playground. There's this marketing campaign to try and um, uh, deter the, uh, the the stag parties. And yeah. they, had a, they interviewed some you know, tourists, mostly British tourists, I have of to say, course. from <laughs> on an OS. Of and course. one person just sort of said, you know, they, they asked them if they thought it was a problem with tourists coming over here to just get drunk for the weekend. The guy sort of said, well, it's Amsterdam, in it. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, the, the, the reputation yeah. the city's got. It's tolerated it for a long time, so I thought this is just the price you pay if having lots of tourists in and you have a bit of a lively party atmosphere, but it's kind of now tipped over yeah, the balance. And the problem really is a kind of British tourists, frankly, are kind of lightweights. Yeah. You know, they can't, it's fine to get drunk, it's fine to get stoned, but they can't handle their drink, they can't handle their dope, no. and they certainly can't handle their sunlight. No. So they're staggering about 11 in the morning and then end up having a fight with a pimp and at the end of the day in a cheap brothel and it's, it's true just... but those kinds of tourists would be deterred by things like an increase in tourist taxes right so I mean maybe that the tourist tax increase right because if you're coming for a stag party you're probably looking I mean not to spend a ton of money so we've kind of talked about it like a lot of these things but I want to discuss the Airbnb issue because actually I think the Airbnb issue is like really the problem here yeah. so it used to be right that like hotels were regulated put into one place and like if you bought an apartment above a hotel you knew what you were getting into and then Airbnb came along and now all of a sudden there's these big group houses lots of people being loud and drinking having their stag parties whatever in residential neighborhoods like places where they did not used to be before and this ban on holiday rentals to tourists in like some places I mean I'm a l- slightly sympathetic towards people who have like a, f- a nice house in Amsterdam and they go on holiday to Greece for three weeks and they want to offset some of their holiday costs so they have someone come in I mean people have been doing this for years before Airbnb existed mm. but now Airbnb has made it much easier and yeah. like I think they, they should substantially crack down on Airbnb and as you say it makes it much harder for the council to just kind of uh, contain where the tourists go and where they yeah. stay because you know the Airbnb is just spread through the city like kind of wildfire and also if you buy you know so you know for example you know my, my boyfriend and I we just bought this house yeah. in Delft and we kind of like know all of our neighbours and we picked sort of a place that's a bit uh, of a quiet kind of like neighbourhood with like a pretty active like neighbour group that was a thing that we wanted and mm-hmm. if we moved in there and then in a year three or four of our neighbors have just turned their houses into airbnb rentals and there's just constantly people coming yeah. and going and especially if those people are all stag party people i would be also be very very pissed like yeah so i i'm i'm very sympathetic to this sort of argument and if you spend any time in amsterdam you know on a weekend yeah. you sort of hear and it's very loud and very annoying mm. and these people have no incentive to sort of be good neighbors because they're only going to be there for four or five days yeah yeah and i know people who are trying to buy a house in amsterdam at the moment um and there's a lot of kind of one and two bedroom flats uh, now coming onto the market and they're obviously places that have basically been just run as permanent airbnbs and people now are seeing these new regulations coming in deciding to just uh, offload offload of yeah. their properties and of course it's also had an effect on the housing market Right. house prices are shooting up in Amsterdam and it becomes an unaffordable city to live yeah. in. You don't want to get the situation you get in sort of in the most expensive areas of London where nobody actually lives there anymore. Yeah. It's just, you know, the, the houses are just piles of bricks which are just bought as investments. Right. Nobody actually lives there. No one's in, uh, out and about in the streets. No one's putting children into the schools. Right. And there's no sense of community whatsoever. Yeah. You, you know. 
Yeah, so I am, I think I'm very sympathetic to the Airbnb thing, though I am curious to hear if we have any listeners who are uh, angry <laughs> at this uh, this idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we've talked about just about everything. Amsterdam marketing to be reformed into an expertise center. I mean, I think, you know, if your marketing has done so well that you have too much of a good thing, then like you should do something else with your marketing department. That Indeed. seems yeah. pretty clear to me. Well, one of the things they're trying to do, isn't it, that they're trying to encourage tourists to actually go out to other parts of the right. Netherlands. Aren't they? So they've rebranded um, Mouden Castle yeah, as Amsterdam, Amsterdam Castle. Castle. Well, and they, they've re- People this, think it's in Amsterdam. This Amsterdam beach thing, which is also yeah. a bit of the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, we don't want them in Delft, so they can fucking stay in Amsterdam as far as I'm concerned. There can maybe some of them come down to The Hague. It's a bit more kind of laid back there. Yeah. Yeah. And it, Rotterdam has become a quite popular like it city has. getaway destination, which is also very nice. I mean, the, the difference with Rotterdam, of course, is, is that the structure of the city is so much different, right? Because Amsterdam is sort of ringed in with these yeah. canals, but uh, Rotterdam doesn't quite have the same structure and... You know, there's a lot of sky rise sort of high buildings there. So it's a bit easier to put in like hotels, right? As opposed to like a lot of places in Amsterdam, which are Airbnb because it's a canal yeah. house flat kind of thing. Yeah. And they're kind of reconfiguring the whole city center, aren't they? Yeah. Anyway, in Rotterdam, because that whole area around the station at the square, as, as, as you walk out the front, uh, that's also being rebuilt because yeah. that wasn't really, um, they really, didn't really have anything before yeah. and, and they're now trying to develop it. So the general thing, the problem we have really is, you know, cities have kind of seen tourism as a good thing and an economic boom. They've been really trying to attract more visitors to come to come and now suddenly we've we've reached this kind of saturation point yeah. and they're now trying to turn around and like limit numbers or even reduce the number of visitors and it's going it's going to take a lot of time i think it's a difficult exercise you've got to completely change your whole culture and mindset yeah. of tourism given that you know in the past it is of unthinkingly thought that having more visitors is inherently a good thing now they're discovering the downside and want to do something about it, but it's kind of like turning around an oil tanker. Yeah, it's it's difficult. And also, I mean, I think it's really hard. You know, people go to Amsterdam because they know Amsterdam because it's famous, right? Like, they don't yeah. come, you know, the, the Rotterdam and the Hague is not as a famous city, right? And it also doesn't have, I mean, lots of people go for, you know, the very specific reasons of, like, you know, the, the famous museums and the famous architecture, and they want to see these things. I mean, they go to Paris, they want to see the Eiffel Tower, they want to go to the Louvre, right? Like, yeah. you don't have those things in other cities in Paris. So I think it's really difficult to do that. So I'm very curious to see how this all uh, pans out and going forward in Amsterdam. Indeed. That's all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can now send comments, compliments, and abuse by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, you can subscribe to our feed, give the podcast a rating, and share it. My thanks to Gordon Derrick and Paul for phoning in. I'm Molly Quell, and we'll be back next week. (laughs) 